Welcome to Church Matters Podcast for SGC Marlton. This is episode number 10. I'm Jason Reyes, Associate Pastor here, and with me is Warren Betcher, our Senior Pastor. It's good to have you, Warren. Good to be with you. Well, this past Sunday, we concluded, it's hard to believe, 10-part series. It really has flown by. Uh, yes. Our series, What's Love Got to Do With It? And this past Sunday was Sharing Love. And by the way, great series. Really enjoyed it. Enjoyed all the resources that were uh, surrounding it as well. But hearing feedback from other people, seeing what God's doing in people's lives has been really encouraging. And then this past Sunday to really end it on a note of sharing this love that we've received from mm -hmm. the Lord with others, which really impactful as well. So obviously from Matthew 28, the Great Commission, yep. you know, so to speak. I wanted to just to recap this message. You had this Oswald Chambers quote, which not normally an Oswald Chambers quote, but you had this one and I thought it was really good. It says this, the knowledge that God has loved me to the uttermost will send me forth into the world to love in the same way. Right. Um, now, this seems this quote seems to be hitting the same drum that we've been trying to hit throughout this series, right. which is what's love got to do with it and experiencing God's love first before anything seems to be driving that. Am I correct in terms of the same theme in the New Testament here? Yeah, I think it always starts with God. Without him, we're going to move in ethics or morality, even discipline, personal discipline, self-effort, right. uh, which will make us then self-reliant and also may, may make us self-congratulatory yep. if we're doing well. It always starts with what God has done for us. And right. you preach that so well in your message, the indicative of what God has done for us before the imperative of what we do for him. Right. And that's just such a helpful paradigm that's very protective. Mm -hmm. What has God done for me? And let that fill my heart. God has loved us to the utter most. Right. That is a powerful statement that we should never get over. It's an awe-inspiring statement. Right. And that, that drives us. Now, there is a quote that didn't make it to the message from Martin Lloyd-Jones that I want to at least allow our listeners to hear this quote and probably maybe kick back and say, dude, it should have been in the message. But regardless, why don't you go ahead and read the quote? Because I think this does really sum up what we're, what we're trying to talk about. Well, I feel condemned, <laughs> except God loves me, because this was a better quote. I had it, wanted to do it, and then got busy and forgot. So just like we should have a, another part of the series of correcting right. love to rescue right. us. That's right. Uh, here's a good quote. The series that never ends. And yeah. Wondered, why didn't he share that publicly? It was better when he had. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the, the, the good doctor, great yeah. preacher in England of the last century, said the following, once a man has the love of Christ in his heart. You need not train him to witness. He will do it. And he goes on and says this, the man who knows the love of Christ in his heart can do more in one hour than the busy type of man can do in a century. Yeah, that's good. I think that's what filled him. When we think through history, those men that really were made an impact, they were touched by God's love. Right. So from John Bunyan to John Newton, these were men that were just so amazed that right. God loved them. And then you think about the impact they had in their generation and in beyond. And, and much further. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah it really, it is the gospel that drives all of this uh, forward. And you, you talked about the Great Commission, that it's great because it's urgent and that it's serious. Mm -hmm. um, and, but nothing's more urgent than souls. Right. You know? And then you made this statement, death is just a matter of timing. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that maybe hit some of the listeners. I know when I was listening to it again yesterday online, that stopped me in my right. tracks. So maybe you can pull on that a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. what is what does that mean? Death is just a matter of timing. And how does that liberate the Christian? Right. If we think realistically, it is just a matter of timing. I think that can protect us by helping us not to chase the wind of endless youth, endless health. Not that we certainly can't prepare and be diligent with our bodies that God's given us, right. uh, but At the end our of the day, body is going to become frail. Exercise will not prevent that. Right. 
health food will not prevent that. Essential oils. Essential oils. Nothing will prevent that. So it's just a matter of timing. I think that helps us prioritize and keep what's most important, most important, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The shorthand of that is out of 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins. And then we make it very personal. Christ died for my sin. And this is of first importance for the church. And so nothing you you mentioned as well, nothing measures or is able to supplant the supremacy of the gospel Mm -hmm. for a church. And the Great Commission is great because of what it offers, the solution for sin and separation from God. Over your time and tenure in pastoral ministry, I mean, there's been ebbs and flows of right. various different things that have come along the pike, if you will. Mm-hmm. What have been some of the things that maybe have sought to eclipse the gospel being first with regards to our church and some of the ways that you've sought to really guard that? It's often something that's very good. So it's not always guarding from error. There is guarding from error, but it's really just making sure the good doesn't replace the great. So we can talk about that with parenting. You know, the importance of parenting and diligence in parenting, that could get get expressed in the practice. For us, it did get expressed in the practice of homeschooling. And the next thing you know, a secondary priority emerges. emerges, And you start to put confidence and hope in that. So now you put hope in your parenting for the salvation of your children rather than hope in the gospel. Right. That's good. And it's such a difference. Um, And actually, when you put hope in your parenting, you're going to carry weight that you weren't intended to carry. Mm -hmm. When it's not going well and fear creeps in, you're going to try to control the outcome. Rather than the gospel, it's Jesus Christ that saves. It's the Holy Spirit that acts. When we think the gospel first, we'll actually become more diligent parents because we won't be carrying a weight for our child's soul that we can't carry. But instead connecting them with And just connecting them. Right, right. Um, So I think it doesn't make you less intentional or less diligent. It just puts that in right proportion. Certainly over the history of our church, social causes, depending on what they are, are, and they change. So right now, there there may be more emphasis on social justice issues. You know, 20 years ago, more issue on pro-life issues. Right. Both good causes, both things. Very important. Implications, applications of the gospel but not the gospel, Mm -hmm. not the gospel. Well, let me ask you this. Death is a matter of timing. Mm -hmm. Help tease this out in terms of how a Christian thinks through the stock market crash that took place Monday. We tend to look at the world. We don't want to imitate how the world reacts Mm -hmm. and the world reacts in fear. And the antidote to fear in a worldly mindset is always control. Fear leads to control. This happens again, even in parenting. I'm fearing. So what can I do to control the outcome? Well, we can apply that to financial things. So what do I do to protect myself? And now protection, fear drives protection. It can get out of proportion. Mm -hmm. So same thing with the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Which I was going to ask you about next. (laughs) Yeah. And and I think if we think about the coronavirus, we think of principle and practice. So the principle of this for a Christian is I don't fear that because I don't fear death. Because if I fear that, I will try to control all my surroundings and I won't live in faith. Faith trusts God with my life. It's active expression of that. So I think the principle around the coronavirus is trusting God, the sovereignty and providence of God, Mm -hmm. that he is watching over us. Mm -hmm. Everything comes through his hands, is filtered through him. And then second principle is loving others. Right. So it's not protecting ourselves, it's loving others. So if I start with those two great New Testament themes, faith and love, and they guide how I respond, I'm probably going to be in a good biblical response. That's the principle. Now, practice can get into, let's wash our hands a lot. Don't come if you're sick. Cover your mouth if you do cough. Right. Be sensitive in all those ways. Be sensitive. And even there, if I'm sick, why don't I come? Well, it's loving. I'm caring about someone else. Right. That's where love drives even the practical response. It's the ethic of love 
that drives that right. response. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Watching the news and you hear quite often it's a two week, 14 day quarantine. But it seems as though at this point, not that everyone's immune to it, but it seems that the, the harder hit population right. are the elderly with the coronavirus. And it does seem as though those are the folks that we should be seeking to care for right. and seeking to make sure if we're stockpiling anything, it's for them, you know, not just for ourselves. But it right. seems the exact opposite is the response of the world. You know, I'm going to take care of myself, mm-hmm. you know, first. And that's what's driving everything because of fear. But you said last week on our podcast that Christians are to be different in this. And so I would encourage this, our listeners is the coronavirus is here. It's actually it's first established stated cases in Camden County. In light of all that, it's not a question of if mm-hmm. it will touch our region, but when right. and the magnitude of it. How should we be thinking through this biblically? I know mm-hmm. that it's fear. I know it's trust in God. I know love for others. So what are some of the implications? I'm not saying you to impose practice on people, right. but maybe give us examples of practice that maybe we should consider as a church. Coming from a biblical point of view in Philippians 2, consider others more important than myself and look to their own, their interest above my own. Uh-huh. So that's where it could be, you know what, I do have a cold or something and I don't want to be in a place where it could tempt people. So I think just being more vigilant on that and just good practices, the washing of hands and wiping down of surfaces. Why are we doing that? It's an expression of love for others. Understanding maybe someone who is older or has compromised health in their life, maybe they're going to pull back for a season right? and have an understanding of that. So someone who may be younger or healthy, or I may not tend to worry about this virus in the same way that somebody else, but do I have compassion for those who may be rather than enforce my view on them, right. but actually have compassion for they could be worried about this. I right. uh, still want to help them biblically, but older or your health's already compromised, they do seem to be the people most at risk. Uh, surprisingly, children don't seem to be right. as much at risk with this illness. Typically, we always want to be thinking about children. Well, right. you know, they're, they're more vulnerable. Their systems aren't as developed. This doesn't seem to be hitting children that way. Right. But certainly for those that are older, I think it's 80 and above or 60 and above, but particularly those even older than that or compromised health. Ways that I think as a church, we may see over the next few weeks and maybe even months, our attendance drop a bit because of people who are one, who are trying to love others, you Mm -hmm. know, because they are sick and they're staying away. And then two, those who could be susceptible to illness are staying back. Mm -hmm. Is there just ways that we can be aware of empty seats and how might we care for them? So maybe it's a phone call, maybe it's a text, maybe it's a email to them, just reaching out, letting them know, love you, care for you. How are you doing? Interacting. Because I think in any type of illness, one of the biggest temptations, I think, is the isolation you know, that you encounter. And as Christians, we're not called to walk through mm-hmm. you know, alone. And mm-hmm. so just ways that we can be mindful and also prayerful through this as well. You mentioned as well, the church in terms of how we're called to proclaiming the Great Commission, but also the content of the Great Commission, which I thought was really helpful because mm-hmm. that can be almost be assumed. But Jesus is very specific mm-hmm. you know, in what that content is. And so he mentions proclaim the good news to others. First of all, what does proclaim the gospel really mean? And how are Christians supposed to be doing that? It's not apologetics. You're not badgering someone. Not badgering somebody. You're not arguing. There's really no evidence that people get argued into the kingdom of God. They might mean they couldn't be. There could be a reason. Yeah. And I think if there's reasonable debate, where you're taking really interest in that person, that's a helpful conversation. Right, right. A helpful conversation is different than a debate and different than an argument. So a healthy conversation is understanding their positions Mm -hmm. and asking questions of how they come to those conclusions and engaging them. If they feel respected in that, they're more likely to listen. But if it's just arguing positions and philosophically what's weak in your position, you may not really move the ball very much. So I think in sharing the gospel, it is 
Christ died for our sins and then was raised from the dead. And that's the essence. That's the pinnacle. The gospel is broader than that. It's his whole life, death, resurrection, ascension, and return. It's the whole life story of Christ. Right. But the good news is he died for our sins and was resurrected as well. That's what we've got to keep the focus on. And then we just got to keep the focus on we're called to be witnesses. And so, testify what God's done in our lives. Yeah. You know, how we to were give once, an answer for the hope that right, we have. To be an object of wrath. And yes. now we're children of God, enjoying relationship with him, which we never could before because right. of our sin. Why? theologians talk about, we're like mailman. We're delivering a message. It's not our message. We're delivering a message. That's good. And successful evangelism, while we want people to come to the knowledge of Christ, is really, do we communicate the message? Only the Spirit can regenerate a heart. And that's work we can't do, but we can bring the message. So how does prayer become a practice for you in the sharing of the gospel? What does that look like? Well, I think it's just daily prayer. One, are we thinking about it? There is someone very dear to my wife and I that we are praying for every day mm. for their salvation. And actually not only for their salvation, but actually extend into the family of which they're a part. And it's just a prayer. We pray every day. And we've been praying that prayer for almost a year now. And there's been opportunities. So we take the opportunities to share when they're there, but we also take the opportunities to build a relationship as okay. they are there. And it's a dear person, someone we love and think highly of. But they're in and your relational they're network, They're in our right? relational network. So we're praying all the time and never missing. That's the big picture. The value right. of this person's soul is the great cause. Right. And then just wanting this person to, to know the love of Christ. So how do we demonstrate it? And there's multiple ways to demonstrate, but also how do we share it? It is interesting, especially as I've been reading in John, preparation for our next series of the I Am Statements. From the very beginning, it's whomever the Father draws. So there is a recognition. It's not my words. Right. It's the Father's drawing. Mm -hmm. um, and so praying, God, give me opportunity, but draw with efficacy that they would understand and their eyes would be open to the truth of mm -hmm. who Jesus is. You talked about proclaim, but you also talked about baptize. Mm -hmm. All right. And this could be in a few minutes. We're not going to go ahead and be exhaustive in this, but why do we as a church practice believers baptism and mm -hmm. why is that important? I think our conclusion biblically is that it was for people who have confessed Christ and repented of their sins. Mm -hmm. That seems to be the overwhelming evidence of the New Testament. Right. So it's, there's a volitional understanding. There's volitional. Right? It is call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. It's repent and believe, repent right. and be baptized. Right. So we believe in believers baptism and in that way we're baptistic. And we just think that's the clear teaching of scripture. Understand there's other theological arguments that are good arguments, but as far as exegetical teaching, unpacking scriptures themselves, it seems to be those that actually can place faith in Christ and repent of their sins and then follow Christ. That's who we baptize. So that's very important to us. Right. If you're a Christian sitting in church on a Sunday and have never been baptized and you're walking through right. life, you know, you're a genuine believer, what would you say to that person? How would you counsel them in respect to baptism? Study scripture. Look at the scriptures. See who responded. And let scripture inform your convictions. So I came to that conviction. I had been baptized as an infant. Uh -huh. Loving parents, good church, understand the theology behind that. But really came to the conclusion it really is for believers. So I was even though it's symbolic in both in, in both understanding. Yes. Right? Neither side would say baptism is salvific. Salvific, right. So it's an important uh, as far as Protestant. Right. It's an important uh, theology, distinction. Very important. <laughs> so neither side would say that. Right. But who gets baptized? So I came to that conviction. I studied. And actually, I was a leader at Covenant Fellowship Church at that moment. I was a, a small group leader. So how old were you? I was in my mid-20s. And I just wrestled with the question. Probably had hair back then. Too. I had hair. Well, not a lot, actually. <laughs> so uh, not, not as much as you might think. And just came to that conclusion. So, which they 
they made fun of. They thought now these leaders should become a Christian. <laughs> so we, we laughed about it, which I appreciated as well. Sanctified. Uh, yeah, sanctified humor. Down. And then was baptized That's as neat. a believer. My mom, who was there, my first baptism when I was oh. baptized as an infant was there. Oh, that's special. Which said something about her. She didn't feel threatened by the change. She celebrated the conviction. That's neat. And that was one of the godly things about her is that she wasn't threatened by anything that we were doing new, even theology that was not what she was comfortable with. Mm-hmm. She was more of an examiner and watching fruit and really just rejoicing that her children were following the Lord oh, with all their heart. So she was very supportive of that. So I'm glad I did that. I think it was an act of obedience and it was a, a significant act. I, I, so I would recommend anybody who's not been baptized as an adult to study scriptures, yeah. come to that conviction, and then just for us, be baptized. Right. It doesn't matter if you're 50. Right. It doesn't matter if you've been walking with the Lord for three years. You can share your testimony, but then say, I have a conviction that this is a public identification with Christ right. in his death and resurrection, and I'm doing that. And I'm communicating that to the world, to other believers, to the heavenly realms, right. Right. and to celebrate that. So we would encourage people, it's not too late. And you referenced it too. It's not just a theological understanding of the symbolic act and, and doing it, and, and even being in an obedience to the Lord to do this, right. but there's also there's a transaction personally yes. that you encounter. So what would you say to that? There is a blessing to be given and to be received, I think. So it's not an importation of saving grace. Right. It's not right. an importation of grace that makes you even potentially be saved, but that doesn't mean there's no grace involved. Mm. I think it's That's similar well to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is symbolic. We're doing something symbolic, but it's more than that. Right. There's mystery in this. There is grace. There's transactional things that happen in that. Again, there's some role of theology around that, but it's more than just symbol. And if you study scriptures and you study even the Puritan theologians, Reformed theologians, they would say, oh, it's it's more than just a remembrance. There is grace that gets imparted, imparted right. through that. Right. And I think it's probably similar to baptism. Right, right. And these are the only two, those are the only two sacraments that we yep. hold to, you know, here at Sovereign Grace Church as yes. well. And vitally important. Yes, you know, the vitally important. Well, this wraps up all the time that we have today, you know, but I really do appreciate it, Warren. So thank you so much for being a part. And again, for you who are listening, grateful for you. This Church Matters podcast is for our church family here at SGC, whom we dearly love and hope that it is beneficial and is edifying to you as well. So until next week, have a great day. Thank you. You too.